Hello, and welcome to IAOP's podcast series, PulseCast, where we explore topics big and small in a world of collaborative partnerships. Thank you for joining us, and now the host of PulseCast. Hi, I'm Amanda Safdar, and today I'm sharing a session from our recent event in Brussels, a panel discussion with IAOP's European Outsourcing Council. The Council will be discussing the key opportunities and main market trends of the European outsourcing market in 2018. Not only will they explore the strengths of the market, but will discuss leading trends and risks from both buyers' and sellers' points of view. The session is moderated by Victor Doctor, CEO, Pro Progressio, and includes a few panelists. Vishal Khanna, Vice President, Equivia, Suzanne Richter-Willis, Director of BPO Solutions at Kofax, Marco Kovacevic, Chairman, IEOP's European Outsourcing Council, Adrian Quayle, Managing Partner for Avasant, and Serge Lebro, Partner with LiveIT. Enjoy! Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome uh, uh, to Brussels. Uh, thank you, Debbie, for inviting me here, and thank you for your participation in this um, event. Uh, I have a great pleasure to meet some of you already before. Uh, at some events in, in Europe. At um, IAOP we have met together two years ago in Amsterdam. It was a great session over there. I still remember that. Uh, today I have a privilege to run a discussion where we will try to focus a little bit on outsourcing in Eastern versus Western Europe. We will also focus on some topics related to the uh, industry maturity, know-how sharing and this kind of elements. With me, there are going to be those people which you can see on the, on the screen and they will be participating uh, this discussion panel. To be honest, this is the first time I can see that the panelists are not in here, but they are somewhere around, so it might be very interesting. But um, are you ready to start? Or we are, you are going to... Oh, come on, that would be perfect. So those are the stars. Yeah, <laughs> you are the star. <laughs> okay, guys. Um, we had a couple of uh, sessions over the uh, over the phone within the last few months, uh, where the um, uh, European Outsourcing Council was uh, created. We had uh, good discussions about what is hot, what is interesting, and for today we have chosen a couple of topics to to be to be discussed. But let's start maybe with um, with the first very basic. So if, we, if you could just share your experience on that, what is the scale of outsourcing as an industry, as a market in Europe? What, what kind of scale does it have from your perspective? <laughs> yeah, that's always tough to start. Yes, I agree. I think you need to distinguish Europe. I think uh, probably for those of you who are from uh, England or Britain, I think we need to segregate these two parts. You've got the Central and Eastern Europe region and then you've got UK. I think from a UK standpoint, the industry is, is fairly mature. I think the significant scale and typically even if you look at all the outsourcing providers um, and the advisors, you'll see a strong concentration of them based in the UK. Uh, and I always call it the US wave coming in. Uh, probably what hit uh, the UK probably 10 or 15, 20 years ago is what is hitting probably mainland Europe as I call it. Uh, it's still not mature in my opinion. Uh, I've been in the industry now for over 25 years and I still see that uh, Europe is still kind of you know, 
chugging along slowly. Yes, there's a lot of outsourcing happening, but uh, whether we are to that level of scale, uh, I would sincerely deny it. I, I do not know what you feel about it. <laughs> well, I, I think it's, uh, it's pretty similar, but what we are seeing lately, especially like after beginning of 2018, is that the landscape is changing for uh, growth within the outsourcing industry. And it's not only because of the demand, it's because of the legislation and changes in certain countries. So certain outsourcing deals will now stay in Europe uh, because of uh, partly GDPR, because of uh, changes as well in certain laws like in Germany about the outsourcing. So the things will shift more towards onshore, let's put it that way. And it will move in onshore from my point of view and what we have researched as well into more added value because it's becoming less and less about, let's say, the, the under quotes, cheap delivery between uh, Western Europe and Eastern Europe, and it's going more into connecting it with overall managed service. So this is a shift which you see in between like uh, the Southeast Asia and Europe. So our feeling is that the market in Europe will mature and grow in a sense of more added value, having two pieces in mind. One is legislation and the change around it, and then the other, the other thing is about the labor skill, specifics of languages and then the delivery of overall managed service. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's actually really interesting what's been happening over the last 20, 20 years or so. And I think, um, you know, if, if we actually look at Europe, there are multiple dimensions. Yeah. I think, you know, so Vishal and Marco have just actually commented on that. Okay. The, the reality is that clearly we've got the, uh, I suppose, the leading economic nations, you know, you mentioned US, UK, the, the Nordics, uh, certainly in chunks of Western Europe, which in effect are um, primarily outsourcing customers. And then of course you've got, you know, if you look at uh, Central Europe, you know, you look at Poland and Czech Republic and all of the countries in, in sort of uh, Central Europe. And we look at some of these countries that we've been helping as, a, as, a, as an organisation, you know, people like Moldova and Albania and other so countries where, in effect, people are in the outsourcing industry as providers of service, and this has been a great contribution, I think, to their um, gross domestic product, to the skills and uh, capabilities of the people that actually work in those regions. So we've got this quite interesting mixture of um, uh, providers, um, and I'm, I'm going to use that in a very, very broad sense, and sort of customers, and then clearly with the big global corporations, there's a real mixture of people who are customers in the so countries where you know the providers are actually probably the, the major um, outsourcing activity but we have this um, really significant growth in what I would call the knowledge economy and actually it's sort of benefiting us all but the uh, you know the reality is that it's a, a multi-dimensional market in Europe and of course if we look at things globally as well you see the, the impact that you know the outsourcing industry has had on India and the Philippines and other emerging nations and, and the work we've been doing is really also helping people in Africa and around the globe um, actually have a place in that, um, a seat at the table if you like, in the knowledge economy. So in terms of Europe going back to your original question, I think it's a, a multi-dimensional situation. Really we've got a mixture of customers, providers and actually the way the whole industry is moving, uh, taking us all forward into a new digital space, digital economy. And I think perhaps we'll come back to that over the course of the discussion this morning.
I would call it, oh, it's very loud, a state of confusion at the moment. I think it's a time for people trying out certain things in the outsourcing industry. So offshoring, onshoring, nearshoring is one of the things. I think we've seen some of the Western European countries suddenly um, thinking that offshoring was the best thing around a year or two years ago, and suddenly realized maybe it's not. Language could be one of the reasons for it. So the nearshoring is coming back in, and some countries, especially in Eastern Europe, are suddenly now growing. Then there's the whole aspect around, do I want a partner in an, out, in an um, outsourcing firm, or do I want just to pull out what I don't want to do myself. So we're seeing, uh, certainly I see a lot of things happening. On the one hand side, some really deepening partnerships, real true partnerships, eye to eye with the providers. And then, but also, especially at the moment around um, government, the really basic things suddenly outsourced. Things that we thought were just, you know, thinking about document-centric things. We thought we were gone, like the hundreds of millions of pages just to be digitized, for example. We thought these this days are gone, and suddenly these sort of projects are out there again. But it's just really, just do it, have it, and don't talk about me again, dear provider, I just want you to do a service for me. And then, of course, the whole aspect around technology. Is it affordable now? Do I, do I rely on st uh, people still? Is artificial intelligence really there already? Do I have to worry about the robots coming in? And so it's a, it's a lot of confusion, but it's a positive confusion in a sense. So I think it provides a lot of possibilities for everybody to really make it work because the yeah, options are there and they are all real now as well. Uh, just one thing I, would, I can add is the fact that in Europe we don't really have outsourcing. We speak about sourcing. It's very different than what we have in the US or the countries is the word outsourcing is not really appreciated. So it's more sourcing, partnership and things like that. So when you speak about the outsourcing market, it's difficult because people don't do outsourcing. They do sourcing, they do partnership, they, do, they ask people for services. And so when you try to get the figures, the numbers, it's quite difficult because they don't want to say about it. They don't do it, but they do it. Everyone, every company, I think, in Europe with a minimum size is doing sourcing one way or the other. There's no, nobody is doing everything inside. It's really, you can count on your hands the company that are doing everything. I mean, it's really getting more and more. You cannot keep the knowledge inside your company for everything you need to do in your business. Every things that are not your core business you, are, you don't have the opportunity to keep it in house. You source it, you partner with someone, you have even people helping you in your core business. So that's, it's a really moving market and you can see a difference between Western Europe and Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe is helping people from Western Europe to do their work because you don't have enough people with the right skills and so on inside Western Europe. So you have a, really a market where you don't have really local sourcing provider in Europe are really small. They are global. They have centers everywhere in India, in, in Eastern Europe and so on. And depending of what you need, you go there. The advantage of Eastern Europe, of course, is if they are part of EU or close to the EU, it's the same regulation. You can move people around. It's something that is, uh, and it's, it's really interesting. And you will see in other talks later today, about why do we go here or there or there, and it's really interesting to see all those things. And Europe is not one single Europe, 
It's not one country, mm -hmm. and everyone has his own way of doing things or trying to do things, even the regulation. You have a regulation coming from EU, and each country is doing its own interpretation of the regulation that's coming from above. So even if it looks like the same thing, it gets sometimes to small differences that you have to manage and to understand, and so that makes it a lot iterations. Serge, I'll be a bit provocative here when I yes. ask you that, you know, why, why do you believe that, you know, you mentioned that outsourcing is not used as a term and probably somebody from, all, from the audience as well would like to chime in is, why do you believe that, you know, in Europe we, we call outsourcing as not an outsourcing? I mean, I would rather call a spade a spade, right? Uh, you know, we, we do work with external partners and uh, so that's one part of my question. The second question is purely driven around the scale, which you mentioned that, you know, Eastern Europe does have the scale and, you know, do you be really believe that, uh, you know, with the, with the changing demographics that we see uh, coming across in Europe, uh, do you believe that the, the demand for these services can be actually catered? Um, you know, if you put the, uh, the CE region or the Central European region together, you probably have, you know, probably less than 100,000 people across Europe graduating with a specific level of skills in technology or in analytics or whatever you want to call it. Artificial intelligence seems to be the hot buzzword. Uh, do you feel that this is going to span out in the right direction to get the scale? It's, it's a tough question. <laughs> so we'll pass it to Victor yeah, now. Yeah, I suppose, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am asking the question, but it's difficult. But I think if you are, if you put in place the right mindset inside your company as a service provider, you can scale up, but you have to scale up. And I really a believer that resource, you have to find them where they are. And that even when we speak cloud sourcing is one thing, but you have to be open to the fact that you need to find the, the, the resource where they are with the skills and so on. And location should not be something if you can manage it. But of course, where you have big universities, where you have uh, training centers and things like that, it can help the local people to grow on the skills level of what they have in the past. We were looking for resources to do the small ends for everything. No automation is coming in. So what you need is to move your resources to a higher level to provide more services. How, do you, value. how do you cater? And I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm oh, just wanting to have this interesting. And Marco, you might chime in. Because you typically look at Europe as, as, as one country, right? I mean, at least the Americans look at it that way. Um, and we know what the reality is, really. Uh, is to see that, you know, you move from Germany to France, to Spain, to, 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 to Portugal, to Greece, and uh, the interesting gentleman I was talking to today morning, I don't know where he's sitting right now, from Greece and, 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 and Serbia, that's a multitude of languages you're dealing with. You know, no matter where you try and centralize, and, and, and you know, we, we, we've been working and trying to figure out a new location within Europe, and we couldn't figure out a location because the location strategy didn't work out because, you know, if you have, if you have a location set up in, in France, and we were thinking about France, and we said, oh, the legislation does not permit us to do that there. Uh, then we said, okay, let's move to Spain. And in Spain, we couldn't find talent. And then we moved it over to Lisbon. And then we said, um, yes, we can get people in Lisbon, uh, highly talented people. We started small. Scaling up is again an issue. So, and then comes, comes uh, you add the caveat there in terms of how do you get scale? Because if, if you look at and if you study the US and the UK market, these two markets have significantly advanced 
for one simple reason. It's just language. Mm -hmm. It was just because of the language that they leveraged. Uh, I'm from India, so you know, I will obviously say that you know, they leveraged India in that context, but even Manila today. And, and so I think one, one is maybe not the perfect solution, but instead of scaling up, you scale out. Meaning that you, with the technologies, you build mm -hmm. different competence centers in all the country where it match your need. Mm -hmm. And so you, instead of having a big scale-up thing, you mm -hmm. can try to scale out and get things integrated. And with the technologies, no people can speak together, yeah. they can join together in any meeting. It's a different way of working. Certainly we see some of the um, presentations that are next to days will show some of these things. So there's collaboration technology or platforms, you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. There's a whole area about micro-tasking or crowdsourcing. And it really brings a lot of, again, possibilities together. So you can have the, you know, this thing focus on your real core, but then spread things out, but in a very um, non-complex way. Because, I mean, a lot of things have been not been done before because it was the overhead of managing this kind of projects, having it spread out was just too complex, that's gone. I mean, it's the technology and the, the possibilities are actually there now and can be utilized. And they're secure. I mean, it's the other thing, of course, you know, we are in the GDPR world. We all are a little bit frightened what can we say and what not and what can we distribute and so on. But um, it's, it's, you know, technologies are proven, they are secure as well. So they are there and they can then bring, again, different markets, different... Um, skills together and overcome that, especially for, for Europe in, in that sense. So uh, language, as you said, is a, is a real issue and uh, you need to have resources in different um, areas in a way. I don't know if you realize that I just asked only <laughs> one question and you keep on going and actually I can see that my next question is just I could put to the trash because you are already covering the, the subject. I would like to give one comment actually to this, what, what you already mentioned here. Um, and this, um, this is about um, the, the name, if it's outsourcing, sourcing, or something like that. How about naming it just services? That those are the services which are being provided to external or internal customers. Why I'm mentioning that? Actually, two weeks ago, I attended one of the events where there was um, a comment about the impact, not the impact, about the value of services in the GDP of German market. Do you know how big it is already now? Just give a shot. It is 68%. 68% of German market, uh, GDP of, of German market comes from the services. So this only shows how big actually this what all of us who are present here or have the relations with the outsourcing or servicing industry are doing. I realized that my mind actually stopped a few years ago when I thought the German market is manufacturing automobiles, uh, automotive, telecoms, and this kind of stuff. And actually, suddenly, this information just hit me. And it was provided by German Trade and Invest Agency. So the guys who are actually measuring that. So not any external consultant who has some visibility of the market future thinking and so on. So. Um, so this is the way how it's going. You mentioned here, I think, Marco, that uh, it's, it's more going to onshoring or, or this kind of stuff. German market is now thinking about really going into near-shoring and offshoring because this market is well known to use the onshoring providers or their own companies. 
but because of the shortage of talents, they are now really facing some challenges. So if touching those shortage of talents um, elements, maybe this is something what we can put to the stage and, and discuss at the moment. We know that this is a challenge globally. Yeah? We know also that cost is not the only element um, where people take care when looking for the outsourcing providers, but those are those talents, people who are skilled. Thank you. Let's jump into this talents um, subject because I'm really, really curious about that. Is it really hard to get the resources or maybe it is just the way how to get them or how to move them between the countries, between the industries, between the schools and, and so on? How about that? I would like to change the paradigm related to talent. In, in what sense? It's not that we are missing talent. It's that the basing outsourcing jobs have become very boring for people and very cheap for people. So the talent is still there, but people are choosing to do something different. So what, what, why I said at the very beginning that we live in an interesting times, especially in the services industry moving, moving towards platform, is there are, there are several breakthrough technologies which are changing the industry which we know. First one is robotic process automation, as you all know. It, it's becoming a buzzword in our industry now. Everybody talks about it. But I don't feel at this stage that everybody understands it in the right aspect. And one of our dear colleagues and, and uh, uh, member of Hall of Fame of uh, IOP, Professor Leslie Wilcox from London School of Economics, has shared a very interesting line with me. He says, like, we have invested 50 years to put robots in people. And now we are trying to use next five years to take robots out of the people, meaning about the RPA, because we, he's one of the biggest experts on RPA per se. So I think that RPA will be changing our industry. But what we should look into is how we can upgrade the skills of people who we need in order to go more into managed service and added value, as I uh, mentioned to you at the very beginning. Because what we see as a trend towards talent is that you can attract them towards, uh, under quote, sexy projects new things and places where you can invest in education. And this can really change the landscape. The second thing is the thing related to blockchain and you know, democratization of the, you know, of the data. And, and the concept, let's take, like, let's say, the, the cryptocurrencies on a side. Blockchain as a concept will really change and liberalize the, the market and it will cut the middleman and it will create as well a lot of opportunity for outsourcing industry to create the added value product. So from, from our point of view, again, engaging higher skill into business to consumer and business to business products will again change the game. And it will be part of the services economy and platform e economy per se. So again, if we move the game one level up, integrate the technology, invest in knowledge, we can attract the talent who is leaving our industry. If we talk only about the mass market for, you know, like, let's say, a call center of 5,000 people, I don't feel that we can find the talent. But if we include the RPA, if we include the way of uh, engagement through a new technology, we can again acquire people and even do bigger projects in the future. So in, in, uh, we feel that in next two to three years' time, it will be time for transformation for the big services companies who will be basically delivering a different experience through engaging uh, technology, education, 
and the labor pool which was leaving to come back. I think you've, you've pointed some really interesting things there. I think we've all not seen that the tenant is leaving because of the boredom piece. And I think it's a little bit the how is now, because the ability is there now to get people who may not be able to go to the really high-value kind of task to provide them with information, again, technology-aided, and um, bring information in so they can make decisions, they can do certain services which we didn't believe they were capable of, because the, the information is there. What we see at the moment, what I see at the moment, is, for example, robotics. You're talking about robotics. A robotics is really great um, potential to upskill for people. So these are the kind of guys we all know who are sort of not quite developers and not, they're not quite project managers, but they're sort of in between, and, we, and they're all a little bit very agile, they want to do things, and we don't know what to do with them. And these are the perfect guys for this kind of jobs. And there is a real lack of it. I think um, RPA now has um, matured, so people are now seeing the real benefits of it, have identified so many areas where they can utilize robotics, but then they don't know how because the skill is missing. And it's not about, you know, just saying there won't be any university for, for a while bringing out those fully skilled robotics for automation guys. It's, they don't just exist, but it's a fantastic opportunity, just one of them, whereas the how is to actually get a talent and make it really interesting and really give them the value in a job and keeping them in the industry and, or bring them even in from other industries, obviously, to do this kind of um, task within the services provision. There's one thing also, is that uh, I had a nice discussion uh, this year at the Outsourcing World Summit this February uh, in the US between the COP. So COP is a certification from IOP, Certified Outsourcing Professional, and this, this group, we, had, we have each year a training just the people, the Certified Outsourcing Professional, we are discussing between the providers, service providers and the customers, advisor, what would be the future and how we should evolve. And it's really the, the fact that the customers want really the service provider to show them the way to be up front of all those changes that are coming in because the customer don't have the bandwidth to deal with it. And so they expect their providers to be up front and to bring the, to help them to find the way because it's for the moment everyone trying to find, oh, shall I do that? But they expect the service provider to do that. And in fact, there are two types of service provider. The one that say, okay, I will wait that my customer asks me something to deliver something, and those will come late, but in, with the change, rapid change of technologies and everything, those will, I think, disappear in the future. The service provider are the ones that are upfront, that are investing in the future, that are bringing new ideas to their customers, so they can improve the, ser the service, as we said, to have a full end-to-end -end service with all the different technology incorporated into that. And so that's a key thing, is that the service providers need to be up front of the customer, because otherwise the customer will change service provider. Yeah, but Serge, do you believe that, you know, for, for any of the people, I mean, I'm going back to what Victor was saying about, you know, where are we getting the talent today in the industry? Um, and, and that does not make it easier, uh, primarily because uh, one thing was, you know, what you were saying, we have to make it more, look more, if I may use sexy, the industry itself looking sexy that, so that you attract talent. But if there are not that many people there, okay, and, and with the advent of RPA, you know, you obviously expect some um, uh, efficiencies flowing in from there. Um, how do you manage that? Because 
within within Europe, you know, and, and, and I'm part of, you know, the team which actually decides our location strategy in terms of, you know, where should we set up uh, the next uh, center that we want, you know, talent to be there. You are always struggling because every place you go to, you go and talk to the universities because that's where you're going to start hiring people to, to actually build up scale. You really struggle to, to get a, a critical mass established. I'll give you a live example. We, we started Lisbon pretty much last year. You remember, Marco, that you know, we were setting up something in Lisbon. And we scaled it to 100 people. And now we are struggling to take it to the next level because it's not just about you know, deploying technologies there. Uh, it's about just getting the critical mass of resources to actually do some work there. Uh, and, and you can tie up with universities. And I've seen that also happening if you look at you know, other companies like Cognizant or any of these. A lot of big, big companies are actually moving onshore uh, of actually building, working with universities to actually scale up and build programs to actually address uh, the, 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 this talent gap. Which might work in the U.S. demographics are very different vis-a-vis -vis Europe. So, so Germany alone, you know, we, I was with a customer uh, recently, and he said, you know, large hospital chain, and we said, uh, you know, what are you looking at? And he said, you know, honestly, uh, Mr. Khanna, we are wanting to actually get doctors. Can you provision doctors to us? I said, hang on, you know, we are talking about outsourcing in a very different space. He says, that's what I need right now. We are, we are a large chain. We are missing doctors on our board. This is critical skills. And he was actually willing, which, is, which, you, which might make you wonder that, you know, why would a hospital want to, you know, outsource doctors? He says, I don't have people. It is difficult for us to attract talent. The regulations are too complicated. How do we get the people on board? And I, was, I came out of that meeting thinking, you know, this is just one industry. And then I was talking to our colleagues, and they said, oh, this is a, this is a serious problem because um, the other day, um, you know, one of the gov uh, state governments approached us to say that, you know, we do a lot of field force reps, right? We, we provision a lot of field force to, to pharma course. And he came back and said, oh, we need nurses. We are desperately short of nurses. And I'm trying to think, you know, we are, we are talking about AI, ML, and, you know, critical skills. Here are basic skills which still are, are going to be missing. So, so there is this talent issue in terms of not just you know, technology. Technology definitely is, is, is crucial. But you look at the broader industry, and I love the term, Victor, you said you know, it's not outsourcing, so probably we should call ourselves the Open Services Council. Uh, and I'm sure Debbie will not want to change the name of IOP here. Uh, but there are critical skills missing. You know, the, the demographics, and, and, and you, you go into the automotive industry, you mentioned, you know, they actually pulled back, I, I remember a couple of years ago, Audi actually pulled back people who had gone into early retirement to actually come and work back at their plant because they couldn't get the, the influx of, of, of uh, you know, fresh talent pool. So I, I don't see it going away. I mean, probably in the technology sector, RPA, AI, ML, and all the buzzwords floating around there will probably address some of it in terms of you know, reducing the scale. But if you look at the broader services, and then I'm intrigued by the 68% that you mentioned around Germany, is that the broader segment still needs that. There is a whole lot of industries that will fall short um, from a services standpoint of not having talent available. And I don't see enough being done by the governments even. Uh, you know, you, you, you go to, you don't have to walk too, too wide. I mean, the EC is right around the corner. Uh, is you see investment in education as a percentage of GDP is not increasing anywhere. That's a very crucial indicator uh, from a macroeconomic standpoint to see how a region is going to evolve, how a country is going to evolve. 
If you want to look at talent, and that's what we, we track is, you know, which country is investing maximum in, in, in education because that's going to play a big difference. India benefited, you know, from a policy change which was done in the 60s. Um, you know, you find the countries reaping the benefits. But here you see the spend on education consistently going down, which is, which is a worrying trend because what it means is another 20 years down the line, uh, when me and you, probably, hopefully not, we are not standing here and, you know, still be doing this. But uh, you, you, you see a lack of talent. And I don't see any, any and, and we are advocates, and, you know, whenever I'm meeting a, uh, a university, we were in, in, in Barcelona a couple of weeks earlier, and, and we were talking to the university there and saying that, how can we revitalize? And the, the question that the, 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 the gentleman there posed across to us was, oh, um, you know, we don't have any grants available from the government. You know, everything is getting cut, so we can't incorporate things like AI, ML, primarily addressing the technology, but even basic services of actually having, you know, nurse education programs and actually putting nurses through a program to, you know, can we fast track, can we get nurses on board fast? Because, you know, we, we, we have within our organization close to 2,000 nurses in our, on our panel, not because of the fact that we want to do, have, you know, nurses, but because there is a demand there which is not being addressed. So I, I, I don't see it going away because if you, if you, if you look at this talent gap, um, Technology industry, yes, can cater to a lot of it, but I, I don't see it going away in the broader industry. I, I don't see it. No, and I, I fully agree with you that we should be also advocate of those lack of talents to the, to the countries, authorities, and everything. Because if I take your example of doctors in Belgium, there's a numerous clauses for doctors, meaning that only each year a, a certain amount of doctors came out. They are I think five times more people that want to become doctors, that's what is authorized for them to exist. And what happens is that in every hospital in Belgium, you have a shortage of doctors, and they have to bring doctors from other countries, because in Belgium, you are not authorized to train more doctors than a certain amount. And it's crazy, because when you look at the global picture, it makes no sense, but the government and the regulation, they want to stick to it, because you have the doctor corporation also that is pushing to say, okay, we want to protect our, co our corporation, we want to be sure that there's not too much doctor on the field, <laughs> not too much competition, but it's crazy because when you look at the global picture, there's a need. There is, there is definitely it, a need. For me, it's the government that should open the education to more talent where you need talent, and they should watch where you need talent. Mm -hmm. I have two comments here. One that uh, there is at least one doctor at this room which is contracted so <laughs> to many projects so maybe this is a new way of approaching the, the the business so if we have IT contracting as a professional service providing IT professionals to the world maybe in these niches there might be nurse contractors or doctor contractors or whoever contractors and that might be a new line of providing resources to segments on the market. But that, that's just a, a short comment. The other one, uh, Vishal, you mentioned about this Lisbon office and challenge with the shortage of talents. I have a feeling, and correct me if I'm wrong, that in many, many cases, probably in most cases, when people are, the managers are choosing the sites for their operation centers, they usually look for the capital cities of the countries 
or the top two or top three cities within the countries. And this is something what is happening since ages. ages yeah. uh, so we can differentiate tier one, tier two, tier three locations, but basically those tier one are the most preferable and most occupied. And there, there is a challenge of really finding the proper resources with their quality and with their numbers, because they are all the time moving to the new jobs. Actually, I think it might be quite reasonable to extend the search of the potential locations, especially for the centers for 100, 150 seats. Not bigger, because probably this might be a, um, a, another challenge, but to go deeper into the, into the locations. And there, there are fantastic examples in a number of CEE region countries mm -hmm. where actually they are the homeland for the um, operation centers with people who want to stay within those locations. They, they are not interested in moving to the big, big cities or the other countries for migration or, or so on. And we are actually facing that in Poland that since last year, the increase of outsourcing investments when it comes to the uh, operation centers was bigger in the regional cities than in the big cities. And that started last year. So maybe that might be something to be recognized for the other European destinations as well. Guys, we, we are moving uh, forward and, and the time yeah. to touch one uh, more subject about who is actually the client of outsourcing uh, industry currently in Europe. You mentioned earlier on that some of the public sector is touching the, uh, the outsourcing services and basic things are being moved to that. But does it happen across Europe? Or this is rather this maturity which lies in the Western countries where public sector is actually using the, the, the outsourcing services, where in Eastern part of Europe it is still not as much popular. And if it comes to the private sector, in which actually sectors the outsourcing is the most required and which don't use it as much as they could. I'd like to get your feelings about that. Who's first? Oh, so you go first. <laughs> well, this is a million-dollar question. You know, it's, uh, uh, my feeling is that, uh, as you mentioned, Victor, uh, like the Western markets, in a sense of public sector, are more mature, and they do understand that they need to leverage the public spending uh, and into more efficiencies and, let's say, deliverables. So you can see more public sector projects going on in Western Europe than in Eastern Europe. And Eastern Europe is more about big bureaucracies still, and they're hesitating uh, to move towards uh, outsourcing for the, uh, for the companies. In the area of um, business, you can still see, I think no matter if we are talking about Eastern and Western Europe, several big outsourcing industry lines. Uh, one is TNT, like technology and telecom. Definitely, you know, mostly on the customer relationship, networking, knock, and things like that. You can see more partnerships in that area related to the uh, applicability development in certain various products where they try to differentiate, but it's less on a scale comparing to just classic outsourcing. Um, uh, I think the, um, as well, it's moving more towards uh, industries which are more traditional, like uh, we have seen, especially in our region, more manufacturing going into outsourcing, you know, and it's, it's growing in one aspect. And uh, also we can say that uh, it frames everything around as well 
like you can see more media companies going into outsourcing as well, which was very, very interesting to see. Uh, and it's uh, growing again in the region where we are. So these would be, let's say, the, the key things which we, which we see. We see a trend recently. We will see how much it will continue, but that parts of R&D are starting to be outsourced, which is very unusual. Usually you would be either keeping it inside if you are a big company or you would be acquiring a company, but now they're trying to find something in between. Why? What we learned with several failures which we have, uh, let's say, researched, is that once you acquire, the key problem is that over several years, if you don't integrate the culture and its breakthrough, it eats you from inside and you lose. Or the service or a product or the IP was not mature enough and they don't know how to scale it up. So we see as well more R&D pieces coming together. I think from the public sector, and I'm intrigued, uh, you know, what you mentioned was, uh, uh, you know, this is interesting, I want to quote an anecdote here, is that uh, we were at a government meeting uh, for the GDPR, uh, and, and as, as an organization we have a lot to do with GDPR, so uh, we were with this government official, and my, um, you know, the, 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 the person who was dealing with the, with the government, he says, Vishal, um, you know, don't talk about outsourcing when you meet, meet uh, the customer. And I'm looking at him and I'm saying, you know, but isn't that what we're going to tell them about? Said, no, 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 don't touch the topic. I said, but, you know, we have been engaged to actually help them set up their, you know, GDPR compliance for a government. And he says, don't talk about it. So the, the, there is this still, you know, this, this, uh, this, um, and Debbie, I'm remembering your incident that you quoted yesterday from 2004, you know, being pushed into the wall uh, of, by people of saying that, you know, you're outsourcing. So I, I don't see that acceptance. You go in as a service. Mm -hmm. Yes, there is acceptance. I mean, the public sector does do a lot of services work uh, in, in terms of actually engaging. Are they open to the word outsourcing? Probably not. I, I, I don't see that. It, it's still a stigma, isn't it? Outsourcing means so many people giving, getting rid of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's not... And, um, but. A lot of organizations are beyond that now. So it's outsourcing is more like, as you said, services. So, yeah. And maybe outsourcing is the wrong term. Now, when we look at the um, document-centric world, where I'm sort of working in um, primarily, so the, the banks and insurances is probably one industry that is across Europe very active. And there we see the changes that um, the, the type of services that are being partnered or outsourced are changing and getting more towards the customer experience. What you said earlier is about using the providers to bring in things they can't do themselves. It's always so changing. How, how do you, you know, are more reactive, mm -hmm. know your customer better? And they're actually, it's a core in, in a sense, but they're entrusting that on providers quite a bit. Um, the, the other one we, we see a lot um, is manufacturing, as you said, in even the document-centric area, um, starting with the logistics supply chain kind of things, but going beyond that. Again, as well around um, competitive analysis, for example, is the thing that's very, it's, it's quite high skill, and it's really a nice one, they, they're engaging providers to do so, which is, in a sense, is R&D to some extent, because that's, that's where it comes into, but um, I think the depth is changing, and, and the, we, even the high skill jobs, we're looking at, for example, underwriting in insurance industry, so the highest skilled jobs, the very highly paid, um, still lack of this um, kind of talent, around 60 to 80% of that work is really the kind of work that we, you can be really provided by a partner, and that's starting to happen. So these, these guys 
and girls, they having in underwriting actually do their job and the partners providing services which was never thought of would be done. And that's actually across Europe now. Um, sadly, sadly in Western Europe, sadly probably in the UK more than anything because of the uh, maturity or even in, um, in the Nordics. But it's actually, I've seen a lot of examples now that it moves also into the, the Eastern part and um, opening up in that sense. I think the, the big message that comes through to me is whether you're in the public sector or whether you're in the private sector, there's this requirement all the time to be able to do more for less. And actually, better, faster, cheaper is really what people are looking for on a constant basis. And I think the opportunity for the services industry is to continue to deliver that because invariably inside large organisations, uh, very quickly, there becomes a sort of a, uh, um, a sort of bureaucratic atrophying which goes on, which actually makes it more difficult for people to, to do these things internally, which is why people look then for external organisations to come along and help them get better, faster, cheaper. And I think that's really at the heart of our industry and where we need to be going, maybe the, the clarity of thinking around services and what we do in the services industry. We help our clients do better, faster, cheaper, so public sector can be uh, less expensive, private sector can be more efficient, and we can actually harness the new technologies that actually come along, which becomes very difficult if you're inside an organisation which has you know, layers of management which actually prevent you from doing this. Yeah. And one thing also, I think a lot of customers, they want flexibility on their cost. And the thing is, is that when you have fixed cost, it's always, you know exactly how much you would spend, but it's not ad always adapted to what you deliver. And so one of the key drivers, I think, is moving the cost from fixed cost to flexible cost that can evolve with your activity. If you are growing, you bring in more people. If you, at one point, you need to resize part of your organization, it's easy to resize because it's the partner. In fact, that's is resizing and using the resource somewhere else. So that's a key thing. And also, I think in Western Europe, everyone is doing services one way or the other. I mean, facilities is a good example. I mean, how many companies are not outsourcing their facility management? I mean, keeping in-house the full facility, I don't see a lot of companies still keeping the facilities managed by themselves. It's easier for them to have experts that can bring every type of skills when it's needed, instead of having all the type of skills in O's, where sometimes they are not used at all. So that's a, it's a key driver also. Guys, we've got seven minutes left, and I've got one question which I'd really like to get your opinion on, and with the final comments afterwards. I mean GDPR. Within the last two months, we had a storm uh, which name was GDPR, and it just went through the whole Europe. And uh, I don't know what uh, are the feelings of yourself and comments from the countries where you are coming from, but in Poland it was a nightmare. Every day we received millions of emails. Each email was written in a different style. And actually a number of comments which we received were coming from the outsourcing industry, especially from the call contact center, from, the, from those who actually use those personal data for their day-to-day -day business. Do you think that GDPR in the current form, or I don't know if it's even in the perfect shape already, probably not, but may it be a showstopper for some of the outsourcing activities in the market? 
or it will regulate the market to have really professional approach to some service provisioning which is happening. Who would like to challenge that? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, again, again you. <laughs> you want me to start? <laughs> oh yeah, why don't you go ahead? I mean, you're seeing it. Go you're ahead, seeing it happen, right? Go ahead, uh, and So, uh, the thing is, is that, in my view, GDP, the, the target of GDPR is to bring structure in the far west of all things we're going. And that's the main reason the European wanted to have something because of the lack of security, in fact, on all the data. That was the key, key driver, I think, is to force the company to secure their customer data and personal data so it would not be open to the internet, open to everyone send, selling the data to another company to do something. That's the key driver of GDPR. And then there's the interpretation and, some, and all, what each company does with it, sending emails, things, but it's, the key thing is the security of the data first the way you control the data, to know where is your data. So you, that's the key thing of GDPR. And I'm really, the key thing is I'm really surprised is that the, the regulation is in place two or three years, something 2014. like that. 2014 it was in place. It was put in place, it's just that the fine, so the all the industry had three years to get ready for it. And in fact, it just the day before they started to fine people, that's you receive a mass of email and people are moving. So people, instead of using that time to really dig into it and do it properly and put their system in place, what they did, I know some companies and major companies did the work up front to prepare for it, but most of the companies were just afraid and so they did one thing just to show they were doing something about GDPR. So I, I have a lot of companies I know they did something, they send emails, they show things just to say they are covering GDPR and give trust to their customer because they do something. But that's not the right way to do it. They should do it in the mindset of we control the data, we know where are the data, and we can have the people, if they don't want to be part of our data, they can opt out. That's the key thing, is that we have to, you can keep the data, it does not mean you just have to know where you keep it and you, make, you, you need to make sure that people can opt out and you can delete the data. I don't know what you think on your side. There would no, be I think, session, I think there the... Guys, four minutes. A, we, have a, we have a nice session coming up, following up uh, yes. on GDPR today. I, I think, think there's probably. a question in the background. Yeah. Uh, on GDPR, it's, there's a one thing of luck. Uh, it's the, the one year till the European Commission and all the privacy commissions are ready in order to follow up. So it gives uh, six to nine months in order to ready. On the other hand, uh, clients are, on the legal department, are really ready. So if you look to all the contracts about outsourcing, or even services that you do at least here in Western Europe, there's a lot of little details about GDPR and how you handle their data. So what this means is that you need to have a data privacy officer inside in order to go to all the these things. That's one. Secondly, all the mails that we received, 90% are not real. Because they go from the uh, position that you already agree. Normally, you need to agree. And then they can do it. So, if you want to attack all the companies, it's right, there is 
right moment because they are not legal, but what they do. So these are the things that will come and are coming. And the uh, ones that are doing the services, they will need to having also data privacy officers in mind in order for all the data breaches, because you will need to report that directly, otherwise you have the fine. So uh, this is only the top of the iceberg of those mails. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely, it is the top of the iceberg. Guys, we've got one minute left, so I'd like to get your final comments about <coughs> uh, this, what we were actually discussing today. If there is some thought you would like to pass on the audience, this is the right time. I'll just touch briefly about GDPR and again offer a different perspective. Uh, my feeling is that the private data economy is changing. Up to GDPR, somebody else was selling our private data for benefit. And I feel in the future with technology and blockchain, we will be the owners of our own private data, which it should be, and we can sell it to those interested to resell it or put it on the digital market. So my feeling is that this is regulating the market. It will change the game, but it will change the economy because the business models will change, and I'm sure about it. Thank you. So I, I think that for me it's it's it was uh, it's interesting you know talent, not outsourcing services. So some of the keywords that I kind of look at. I mean GDPR. I don't want to dwell into it, but uh, I've spent you know the last full year doing that. Um, and and I think it's it's still the fact that you know it is Europe still you know needs to take that big step in actually accepting it either we accept that as we all as the industry you know when we are educating talking to clients in whatever position we are we need to embrace the term either outsourcing or we just say you know we are doing services but but in in whatever form and shape we we do it um, we need to address that and and talent is something which is which is crucial it, it it is going to stay crucial in europe demographics are not in favor and i will not agree that you know there are still, uh, there's a lot of talent out there. I mean, it's, it's sparse in Europe. Adrian? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think that really the conclusion that we're at is that we are in services, in the services industry, and there's the three key words, whether you're providing it or whether you're a consumer of it, which is better, faster, cheaper. Thank you. I was going to say, <coughs> oh, my hay fever's getting better of me, sorry about that. I think we have a lot of diversity in Europe, and I think this event is going to be a good one. So if you look at the agenda, I mean, many of the topics you heard as touch are actually covered in much detail. So hopefully, as when we stand here tomorrow, uh, there'll be sort of closing. I think there's going to be quite an interesting discussion around the room of what people have been sharing and really looking into all different aspects over the next two days. Thank you, sir. Yes, and so my conclusion with all the talks and we did not touch about automation and indeed or everything, the outsourcing industry is changing and it's changing fast and all the paradigms are changing and it's, I think, sharing knowledge with everyone involved into this industry that makes you, that helps you choose where, you are go where we will be going because everything will be changing and it will be changing fast so we need to be open to hear the others and to adapt. And yet, having an industry that is able to adapt to the market change and the way we provide the service is really important. So we have to be agile on the way we leave the industry. 
Thank you very much and thank you all for those comments. I, I think this is a great beginning of the very interesting event we are now starting on. So I, I'm really, really happy to, um, to witness those comments and those hints and, and bits which will follow on within the next discussion. So thank you for, the, for, for now and let's meet on another sessions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Michel.